Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us this afternoon. We just discussed the really cool event coming up on Father's Day weekend in Canton, Ohio with uh, the, the big event with the Fatherhood Festival at the Hall of Fame Village, which is taking place next weekend, Friday, June 17th through Sunday, June 19th. And a part of that event will be David Tyree. One of the greatest plays in Super Bowl history is with this man and his helmet, the helmet catch, and he joins us on Outkick 360. David, great to have you back on the show. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing great, guys. Thank you all so much for having me. It's thrilled to bring myself and my helmet back to Ohio. Hey, tell us uh, about your involvement with this event coming up on Father's Day weekend. Yeah, I'm really excited, you know, just so, I, of course, as a father, right? I'm a father of actually seven children now. Um, you know, I, I spared no expense on being fruitful and multiplying. <laughs> but ultimately, um, it's it's a unique opportunity, uh, not just for people in the NFL community, but for people who care about the future of their families and the unique role that a father can play in the lives of so many. I think coaches are a tremendous example of that, a type of a father, and I think when we have a positive male figure in, in, in the family and the ecosystem, it, it drives stability. So I'm thrilled to be an ambassador for this wonderful event and um, not just to participate, but to be a participant. We had Mike Singletary on to talk about this event, David, and I asked him a question about coaches in football and can they serve as a father figure to young people is this the type of event that's good, maybe not even just for fathers, but for coaches that serve as that surrogate father for so many in certain situations? I, I think it's a, an event for families, period. I think everyone's in some unique way a part of a family. And, you know, there are all kinds of unique family environments. We all understand the, you know, the peculiarity of how special it feels to be a part of a family. And I think the role that coaches play the role that leaders play sometimes, even in a in a maybe a family office or a family uh, family business, it's some of those attributes that that we kind of galvanize around that make people feel warm, valued, and um, so it is a peculiar event certainly for coaches and, and and people who have the ability to impact people and bring that nuance that is just life giving. David Tyree, our guest, the helmet catch in Super Bowl Forty Two. The, the backstory of how all of this came together, beyond just the miraculous play and the grab, uh, you were uh, you were known for a, a you're a special teams guy, an all-pro special yeah. teams guy at that. But Plaxico Burris sprained his knee leading up to Super Bowl week, and that gave you more reps in practice. And going into the Super Bowl or the regular season, you had like four catches for 35 yards. It's not like you had many reps. And you didn't even have a very good practice week, but it ends up you beat, you scored the first touchdown in the fourth quarter for the Giants, and then you end up with the helmet catch that goes down in Super Bowl lore. Yeah, I mean, the, the backdrop is really what part of what makes it so special. 
you know, um, I'm, no one will ever allow me to live down the Friday practice. Amazing how one horrible practice turns into a whole bad week of practice. But <laughs> how bad was it though? It was bad. It was historic <laughs> bad. Okay. And it was historic bad practice, just like the catch was a historic great catch. So I'm I'm grateful on both ends. And I think it's just about resilience. It's the metaphor about the human experience of how one could be chosen for a moment, chosen to overcome immeasurable obstacles. It's one of those you know, made for the human experience type of things. And that was just something I do feel like I was chosen for. So it has a lot of meaning. I know for sports fans all across the moment, they've been inspired by it. And I'm just grateful to have that, to continue to give back and continue to just do my best as a person to live up to the moment. And of course, uh, the, the Giants beat the Patriots, gave it the, the, the first loss that season. Forget that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely mention that. It, here's, here's another detail to the second half of that game. Um, if you were to poll the average fan and say, okay, at, at halftime of Super Bowl 42, which player is going up to Eli Manning and saying, hey, I'm going to do this, this, this to get us back in the game? I think I don't know where you'd be on the list, David, but you were the guy. What what did you tell Eli at halftime, and what made you go up to him and 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 tell him that you wanted the football? Well, you know, it wasn't. I personally didn't have any um, significant. Who knows what's going on in the adrenaline of a game, but I, there wasn't any significant moments during the game or at halftime. I think what we, what Eli and I, I myself, what we had was trust. I was always a, a, a special teamer who was fighting for that third wide receiver position. Eli was coming up as, a, as an emerging franchise quarterback, and, and it, it never worked in, in, in those few years prior to. And that was a cold season for me, you know, as far as contributing. Those four catches came in one game. So I think what we did have was trust and belief in one another because I was a heady player, I was a smart player, and I was a gritty player. The respect was there, and I think the trust was there, and that's what gave him you know, the confidence to give me that opportunity, not just with the go-ahead touchdown, but, of course, heaving it across the field in the middle, in, even in the middle of the field, which is probably the worst thing you could do <laughs> in that situation. David, you, you said a key word there, confidence. I feel like I've watched every piece of documentary footage about that season and about that game. I've watched the America's game that was on NFL Network. I recently watched Man in the Arena, which was Tom Brady's perspective of that moment, the episode where Michael Strahan was a part of the episode. And what strikes me every time was you had this all-time great undefeated team, but there was this sense of confidence with your group. And the more you hear from Patriots players – there was a sense of, uh-oh, when they were going against the Giants, and part of that confidence stems from that last week of the regular season or late in the regular season. Where did you guys gain that confidence in that game, and how did that carry over, and did you feel that the whole week leading into that Super Bowl? Absolutely. I think, you know, when I consider that team and the way it was built, the roster through the years, we were, we were just built for it tough. You know, like we had – the lines man down. The Giants always had a history of defensive line. We had that tradition burning through. We had young talent. We had the Michael Strahan. Uh, and on the other side, we had that emerging stalwart of offensive line. And we had the pieces in place. And it was really just about our, our emerging leader kind of spreading his wings. And everything came to play toward the end of that season where the belief really kind of connected that kinetic energy and we began to just pile it on and pile it on. So once we we knew there's every everybody has a little chink in our armor. It's just a matter of whether you can find it. I think our even the loss that last regular season game, 
we knew that we had what it take to, to actually beat the best team in the National Football League. It was just our quest to actually get that rematch. Was it as hard to read Eli Manning and what he was thinking or feeling for a teammate as much as it is for someone just watching him on television? Because I can never tell with that guy. He does not wear his emotions on his sleeve. Was it difficult for you, even as his receiver, to know what's going through his head at times? You know, I don't think it was difficult because Eli was really intelligent. He was well-prepared. Uh, and he just didn't exude the kind of confidence that everybody is, is comfortable with in, in the quarterback role in that position. I mean, like nothing in his face would give you the indicators that this is the guy I can bank down my, my life savings on. And I think that was the mystery and the beauty of his entire career in New York is that he was the same. As, aside from those, those uncomfortable faces that, you know, I think we all had those moments, you know, the Eli faces. But no, he was consistently the same and his confidence was in his preparation, his belief in himself and his belief in team and, and constantly being that guy that would show up each day and not just show up, but get up. And that's what allowed him to emerge into the leader of that amazing franchise throughout that run. David Tyree, our guest on OutKick 360. Yeah, you can check him out uh, with the Fatherhood Festival coming up next weekend in Canton, Ohio. What did Rodney Harrison say after the play, after the helmet catch? Yeah, Rodney didn't have anything to say um, positive for a long time. You know, I think we have this relationship, even though we don't have a relationship, you know? <laughs> so, so I think I, the only thing that was ever uncomfortable for me is when people try to minimize it. And, you know, luck is just not a word that I really adopt. I think it's lucky to find $5 on the street, you know, if, you know, walking by someday. I'll, I'll attribute, you know, I kind of attribute that to some luck. Some moments of significance, they usually have some measure of providence. And, you know, I can't say I could recreate it. I can, there's a lot of things that I can't say. I would acknowledge that maybe it's a miracle. I would acknowledge a lot of things about it, but I wouldn't want to minimize something that was of such importance and value. But, um, yeah, I know it's how, as a competitor how difficult that can be. And it was pretty neat to see him go through his progression through the years, understand that he's one of the best ever to play his position. He did everything that he could possibly do. And some things were just meant to happen. Do you, do you going back to your your perception of luck versus skill versus this is how it's meant to be? Is that somewhat based on your background and the struggles that you went through as a kid? I mean, your sixth round draft pick, you struggled mightily uh, early yeah. on in your career, and in fact, you, you thought Coughlin was going to cut you. I'm sure uh, because you were routinely late to me late meetings whenever he first took over. Yeah, it was, you know, I, my, my struggle wasn't with Coughlin. It was actually my rookie year with Jim Foss. Okay. I was just a train wreck. It was a train. I was just a train wreck of a young man. You know, we're 22, 23 years old coming into this National Football League, and we honestly didn't know much about life. The modern-day athlete is a little better prepared because they've been stung by the, the growth of the game and, and understand that they need to preserve their actions, monitor their actions. That wasn't so much the case coming into 2003. And I just went through my process. I had, I got arrested. I was able to rebound from that. I wasn't canceled, thank God. And um, I had a coach who believed in my, and the little down payment I put in my rookie year. And I wanted to pay back that belief. And I think I did with my pro, with my, with my special teams performance, but also knew I had at least something to give as a receiver. And although my career never, you know, I, I knew I, I think I had a little more ability. But ultimately, what I knew I could walk away with was, man, I left an impact on the game. And that, that's what the helmet catch for me was. 
I knew I wasn't as good as Imani Toomer and Plaxico Burris, but I knew I was good enough to play at my position in the National Football League. And the helmet catch was like this moment of validation for not just for me, but with my peers in a sense that, man, this guy can make big plays and contribute to his team. Now, I would have loved the rebound on that, but I wasn't in the cards and got out of the plans, and I'm, I'm still satisfied. David, I recently wrote a column about the top five teams I think in college football can really capitalize on NIL with money coming in from the outside to go to athletes. I had Syracuse fifth in the country on my list of a program that could elevate because they could become the State University of New York and get a lot of New Yorker support in college football. And they've got uh, an esteemed alumni base also. You played for Syracuse. Am I crazy to have that take? No, I, I, I'm intrigued that you actually have it. I don't think you're crazy. I think there's, there's a lot of work to be done underneath it. And I think your, your, uh, your, prog you know, your prognostication might actually come to fruition because it's a goldmine of a historic university, a historic football program, not just basketball program. And if, that, if, that, if they can merge the alumni accomplishments to, to modern-day opportunity, it will be a windmill of opportunity for these NIL athletes. Give him your top five. Uh, my top five, if, if I can remember, I had Vandy. Vanderbilt one, Ooh. BYU two. Vandy's got a ton of money, David, but they don't spend it on yeah. athletics. BYU oh, is second, which I, I went on uh, every Mormon radio station in America, I feel like, to interview about that. They were very excited about that. Um, I'm blanking on my other – I know Syracuse was five. On my list, I'm blanking right now on three and four. Well, Syracuse should yeah. be higher based on uh, David's takeaways uh, with all this and the alumni St base. Stanford was one oh, of them Stanford's for sure. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Stanford. David Tyree has been our guest. Um, not a Hall of Famer. We're, we're tying in Canton here. But you're in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you, you, the, the exhibit is there. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. It, it's pretty it's – pretty, I've had all kinds of intriguing um, experiences or – and primarily, especially my career tied to that catch. But I remember uh, the same woman who helped me co-write my book. Her name was Kimberly Daniels. She was a pastor. And she said to me two years before the helmet catch, she said, you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. And I'm like, this lady's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a spiritual lady and robust and really energetic. And she just kind of, you know, put that seed. And I'm like, yeah, you're crazy. But I, I think I'm going to have a good career. But, <laughs> but lo and behold, there it is, that, that exhibit in the Hall of Fame. And so I, I, I've always, people ask me, where's the helmet? I said, it's in the Hall of Fame because I'm not going to get a yellow jacket, but I, but I am in the Hall of Fame. Did you keep anything from that game? I got some gloves. You know, I, I, I can't incriminate it anyway, but there was okay. definitely some, um, some, 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 missing, some missing memorabilia uh, that didn't make it <laughs> back to me. So. You went, did you go take Tom Brady's jersey out of his locker after the game? Is that what you did? <laughs> I got gold from the time because he didn't mention my name in Man in the Arena. He tried to say that guy. I'm like, okay, oh, I'm coming for yeah. He got he got Rodney Harrison's knee brace after all those mean <laughs> things he said about him being lucky when he took something from him. Coming up at the Hall of Fame Village in Canton, Ohio next weekend, it is the Fatherhood Festival, a really cool event, fatherhoodfestival.com. A great gift idea for Father's Day and for the whole family. If you've never been to Canton, Ohio, if you want to go back, this is a great opportunity to do so. You can meet great guys like David Tyree. I appreciate the time today, David, and as always, you have a welcome spot on this show anytime. I really appreciate you having me. I look forward to it. This was fun. Thanks, David. Yeah. David Tyree has been our guest. Uh, really appreciate uh, everyone involved with the Fatherhood Festival uh, for, for making that happen.
Every week, Dan Dockich makes it happen. Dan Dockich is next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'll kick 360-year-olds on. We do have primary complaint today. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. We have a big discussion on what's going on across NFL minicamps. There's, believe it or not, some, some news you can use regarding that with some quarterbacks making their starting debut and full access type practices for media. Uh, Twelve teams, I believe, are underway right now. One of them, the Indianapolis Colts. Outkick 360 welcomes in Dan Dockich, host of Don't At Me with Dan Dockich across the Outkick network each morning. Dan, hope you're doing well, sir. What's going on, fellas? Colts are rocking and rolling. That's right. Colts what happened? To, hey, what happened to your guy? Your guy, Darius Leonard, shows up to mandatory minicamp, and we learn that he needs back surgery. You get back surgery in February, not June. Oh, you are preaching to the choir, my friend. Um, Darius a bit of a drama guy. He, he always got something going. He got an ankle, and the Colts are never, ever, and I mean never honest they're like yeah he's got an ankle he's sitting out because of an ankle and then yesterday well he's got a back and it's a procedure and quote we hope he's ready for the start of camp well the truth of the matter is start of camp or, or i'm sorry we hope he's ready for the first game right well the first game is three months like a little procedure is usually six to eight weeks yeah he's out six to eight weeks this just can't be good. I had two NFL guys tell me today, look, Darius Leonard would be a Hall of Famer if he got to just play sideline to sideline. But he's in the middle. He's in the box. His body's rejecting it. That is not good news for the beloved Colts. Uh, he will not obviously uh, be ready, at least what they're saying, for the start of training camp. And they're hoping that he's ready for the start of the season, which is September 11th. So we shall see. Who's your pick for the NBA Finals based on the first two games? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I am not going to go up against Golden State just yet. I'm not sure, and I've asked on my show, who has the best roster, who has the better roster. Not so sure that if you look from start to finish that the Celtics don't have the better roster, but I'm not picking against Klay Thompson just yet. I, I think Klay Thompson needs a an offseason. I think he needs, you know, I don't know. When you, when you play basketball, there's three really bad areas of injury. One is your foot. If you have a foot injury, that ain't great. One is your Achilles, and one is your knee, and he had two of the three. And really, he's come back fairly quickly, but I'm not ready to give up on him yet. I think Jordan Poole's terrific. I think it's going to be a great series, but I'm not, I'm not betting just quite yet against what the uh, Golden State Warriors are all about. And that's really why you bet again, bet with them, because of what they're all about. And I hope Steph Curry, who I love, uh, keeps playing the way he is. I'd like to see Tatum and, 
and Thompson be great. I'd like to see everybody on board be great, but I'm not betting against the Warriors. Is Draymond Green a dirty player? And Dan, if he's not a dirty player, has there ever been a dirty player in the history of the NBA? <laughs> Uh, yeah, like he does, you know, he does those crappy little things, right? That Rodman used to do. And I got to tell you, I mean, I, I really like Draymond. I've always liked Draymond. I think Draymond's terrific. And, you know, when I covered the Big Ten, he was a go-to interview guy. But, you know, as a, as a player and as a coach, I never respected those little cheap shot, stupid things. You know, like, I understand very well the whole we're going to get into your head kind of thing, and I get all that, but I never respected it. I just, yeah, he's a dirty player. I think he is, and I think he is um, probably perfect for the team that he's on on both ends of the court, and I, and I think he made a big mistake by – putting out there what is known but didn't need to be said, which is that he has earned preferential treatment. If I were the commissioner or the head of officials or the officials tonight, I'd be saying, yeah, here's your preferential treatment, big fella. I got it right here, foul, technical foul. I think the NBA absolutely does that deal with preferential treatment. But I think Draymond Green's just simply become a mouth, you know, too much. Great player, great, perfect for the Warriors. But I don't know why referees feel the need to listen to all his talking. Even when something good happens, his first technical, something good happened for him and he still couldn't shut up. So, I hey, look, I love the guy. I think he's great. But I don't. I think he's going to have a problem in one of these couple next couple games in Boston. It's been amazing since the Deshaun Watson story broke that I feel like every month or so, my mind changes on what his punishment from the league is going to be. Then I read that report yesterday from the New York Times, 66 women over 17 months, more detail in there about the liaison woman who owned uh, the, the spa parlor, more detail in there about the Houston Texans, head of security, giving him the NDAs. The more I think about this now, Dan, I'm at the, at the point where I'm going to be shocked if he plays a single game this upcoming season and does not get another season where he's going to be suspended for at least one full year. What, what do you think now when you see all of this? I think it's going in a bad direction. I agree with you. I, I'm with you. It's like, you know what? I, I felt like, and I didn't understand this at the time, I didn't understand how the Browns were so cavalier about bringing him in. You know, and so it was almost like they said, well, we're going to get him out of Texas going to get him out of Houston. Everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, wait a second. Something just doesn't go away just simply because you have, I don't know, moved. I mean, <laughs> hey, look, I don't like it here, so I'm going to move. What? And then, you know, they gave him this huge contract as a slap in the face, what a couple of the women said. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if I'm Baker Mayfield, I, I, I want to get myself ready to go because this dude ain't playing. Then it seemed like, well, he's practicing. And now all of a sudden you got two more women. I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't see how he plays. I, this is going in a bad direction. Well, here's, I think Clint, here's the shocking uh, part. And so, sorry, Dan, to interrupt. But here's the shocking part to me about this, that if I'm the Browns or anyone looking into his track record, that gives me a big-time pause. 
And the story yes. came out yesterday, the fact that when he was first attempted to be shaken down by one of these women via Instagram or whatever, his response wasn't to cool it for a while. It was to go tell the head of security for the Texans, get NDAs and get right back to it. And then tell the women after he made them uncomfortable, hey, you got to sign this in order for me to pay you. Uh, it was not to stop. That's a real problem. That, that's the one time in that story I read, I'm thinking, man, this guy really could not quit. He got right back after. He didn't stop for a week. He didn't stop for a month. He went right back into the same thing. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's going the wrong direction. Like, you know, it, it, let, let's just say for the sake of argument, you, we're the Browns. And we supposedly did our due diligence on this. And we signed this guy. Well, you want it to start easing up. You want the court of public opinion and the court of fact to start going towards you. You know, and by that I mean, okay, maybe 22 goes down to 10. You know, maybe you, I don't know what you do. Do you pay people? I don't know. But you want at least a look what he's done in the community here in Cleveland. I, I don't know exactly, but you want this to start siding with you. But this is going completely the other way. I read the article and I read the same thing that you thought. And I've never lived in a world of $230 million contracts and what that makes you feel or how bulletproof that makes you feel. But it must do something because most normal people, when one person, like, I think Sean Salisbury said to me, hey, Dan, you ever have a massage? I said, yeah, I've had a couple. He goes, you ever make the woman or the masseuse cry? And I'm like, no. Like, I mean, you know, and it, it it's not like if there was one, this would be a problem. Well, now you're sitting here for, what, a year or two, and there's been 22, and all of a sudden here come two more. At the very least, if I'm Cleveland, he hadn't been very honest with me unless they knew about it, but it sure sounds like they did. I'm with you. I don't think he plays this year. And again, I go back to Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield needs to get his backside off a damn couch, quit doing uh, podcasts and start throwing footballs and see if he can resurrect his career. I, you know what else is interesting? About, I don't know, I don't know if it was a month or maybe it was more, maybe it was less. But Roger Goodell said, yeah, we've basically completed the investigative part of this, and it's moving on to the sentencing part of it is what he said. I don't know if he said sentencing, but you know what I'm saying. Did they know about this? You know, it, it, did they not know about this? Is this something new? Is this something that was hidden? I'm telling you, again, I go back to this. When you're in a situation, man, you want it to ease up. You don't want it to accelerate. And it's accelerating as soon as, well, as soon as I think the two women spoke on HBO, it started accelerating. And now you got the Times article. Now you got two more. The Cleveland Browns got a hell of a problem. What's well, interesting, Dan, and we, uh, Dan Dockage with us, don't at me, uh, across the Outkick Network mornings. Uh, we had McLean on. He joins us every Tuesday. John McLean from the Houston Chronicle. Um, and he has, he's read all these depositions and, it, this news, the story came out during John's visit with us, and he said, other than the the specific um, trainer's name, the strength that and well, what, the secure the, the security, head of security, head of and, security's name, and the part about uh, a member of the training staff having his membership at the Houstonian, his name, and right. those are the two things he didn't know. He didn't know, but but a part of the deposition, even with the interviews from a week and a half ago, there was not much that was new. 
that wasn't already known if you had seen the depositions, based on some redactions, I'm sure. But um, he said that he knew of at least 44 different masseuses for massages, not 66. There is a new number there. Um, but he wasn't all that surprised by the details. And I, I will say, the NFL, the Browns and others, did give pause until not one, but two grand juries declined to even move forward to a court of uh, guilt or innocence for a jury of his peers. They didn't even say they had enough evidence in front of them to move forward to spend taxpayer, uh, taxpayer money. That's what's so surprising with this. And it wasn't just the Browns. I mean, there were a handful of teams that at the time, they wished they were the Cleveland Browns. Ending up with Deshaun Watson, as crazy as all this seems, the whole thing has been mismanaged. And it starts with the NFL's initial response, which allowed this to go on. And if four signatures happen, if four signatures happen last October, he's in Miami right now. Well, and I guarantee you they're happy that they don't have him right now. Sure. I mean, you know, you know, and that's all absolutely right. But the court of public opinion should matter in this case. Um, and, and one it, of the easiest will. things. And it to, will. I agree. One of the easiest things to do was the Ray Rice case, right? You had video. And I think most people point that are in favor of Deshaun Watson point to what you said. Two grand juries said, no, we're not going to charge him. You know, they looked at the evidence. They were convened. Uh, they said, no, not one but two. Okay, well now, and again, this can be very damning. Or, you know, if you're a defender of Deshaun Watson, you can say, well, now all of a sudden we believe the New York Times. We didn't believe the New York Times when it comes to politics, depending on what side you are. You can defend this either way. And I look, whether it's new, I don't know. But what I do know this, it's out there more. Mm -hmm. it's not going away. It's not one of those things where time heals all wounds. In fact, what I have learned over my time, going back to when I was with Bob Knight at Indiana, once it gets rolling a little bit, like what you saw with the times, depending on what side of the media you are on and what side the wind is blowing, it can get only worse. And we'll see if it does. You know, if I'm sitting there and I'm a Cleveland newspaper editor, what am I doing? Like, I got my my fan base having to read about our quarterback from a New York newspaper. You know, why aren't – if I were a fan, I'd be like, well, were you guys in that much of a pocket with the Cleveland Browns? You know, I think the world of media is competitive. People always talk about how competitive business is or how competitive sports are. Well, media is competitive too. And if I were a Browns fan, I'd be asked, was it the Cleveland Post-Dispatch, I think it is, whatever it is. I'd be like, hey, the hell are you guys doing? You know, are you trying to cover this up? Are you so in pocket? And then you and I both know, you guys and I both know, there's a section of fans that are going to be like, hey, he ain't going to jail. I don't give a damn. I want to go to the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it, this is all over the place. My point on the whole deal is, if I'm the ownership, the general manager, the coach, whatever, the Cleveland Browns, man, I got 180 degree this momentum because this is going in the wrong freaking way. Chad, next week is going to be crazy. 
because that's the mandatory minicamp, and he'll be there. Yeah, and I feel like there's going to be another story that accompanies his arrival. Uh, well, let, let me ask you this. Also. Hey, let me ask you this. You know, you guys know this. He showed up every damn day in Houston, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. You got the best player on your team. You're paying him. He's eligible to play, and he's coming to work, and yet he doesn't come to work. I mean, he comes to work out on his own, apparently. I think this just gets weirder. I, I do. And I, as I said, man, I know today they said uh, Baker Mayfield's people and the Cleveland Browns people are saying stay away. But if I'm both of those people, if, I'm, if, if I want to resurrect my career and I'm Baker Mayfield, I'm having my agent say, hey, look, I want to be at camp because this dude ain't playing. I mean, I, I 100% agree with you, Dan. I, I think right? that Baker Mayfield has got, he's one of the rare people that may have that chip on his shoulder where he says, I'm going to prove everyone wrong and show up, and I'm still your best option by a mile at this point in the game if Deshaun Watson is suspended for a year. I, I think that he was foolish this whole time not to show up. I think he should have showed up. Again, it, it, again, I'm not in the world. Maybe Baker Mayfield, you know, has so much money and he's cool with whatever and be a media guy, whatever he wants to be. But I'm just saying, if he wants to resurrect his career as a starting quarterback in the NFL, there's only 32 of these gigs. He's on one where uh, at least he has a shot because if his lawyer, maybe, again, I'm assuming they know more than we do. But, damn, it doesn't take a rocket science to see that there's a pretty daggone good possibility that Deshaun Watson's job as quarterback of the Cleveland Browns is going to be open for someone else to play, at least to start the season. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm looking at the details. He's got the fifth-year option this year. Um, That's fully guaranteed. So he's got $18 million, and if he agrees not to show up, if the Browns don't trade him, he's still going to make 18.8 on the fifth-year option. Right. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Again, what I'm saying is if he wants to resurrect his starting career, you know, hey, at my age, you give me 18 million, please. Ain't nobody seeing my fat ball. Okay. But let me play uh, counter here. If you want to resurrect your career, the last thing. Baker Mayfield's agent wants him to do is to get hurt during minicamp. Well, his, because he's true. wanting to be traded or yeah. released. One it, of the two things is going to happen, okay. and he needs to be healthy for the next team, not for the Cleveland well, Browns. Well, and his and that that's where I think the Browns come in. And we we talked about this yesterday, Dan. I think the Browns would be smart at this point to see the writing on the wall and to do what they can to make amends with Baker Mayfield. It should be the Browns reaching saying. out and saying, "Hey, man, I know it went south." But we've got you under contract. We want you here. If not, you're going to be fined. You are our starting quarterback because things are not trending well. You play here for a year. Then if you do well, you know, Deshaun comes back and you go somewhere else. There's no long-term future, though, with him in Cleveland. No, not with him in Cleveland, but I'm saying – It's no different than his 18 – he's guaranteed 18 – if he wants his future to progress, he needs to play somewhere else. He's He's getting this money either way. See, I he's getting, he's getting the money that. if he's under contract and doesn't show up, and the Browns say you, you're under contract and he get fined? No, they, it's no, a mutual agreement. They they're not going to find him, and they're going to trade him or release him by the time the season gets here. Up. And it, if, that's in writing. It's fully guaranteed on a fifth year option, Chad. 
18.8 million he's getting. That's a, there's an injury guarantee on it and everything. So he's that's why the the Panthers want the Browns to pick up part of the money. It's because you can't just well, cut the guy and only be out five million. They're out eighteen if they cut him. That's crazy to me. But, but here's my deal. Right now, and I, I understand you can't, at least my opinion on this, you can't worry about injury. And you haven't been traded. This hasn't happened. You're literally sitting at home. As I said, there's only 32 of these jobs. And if Carolina wants you, it seems to me, and again, I, I could be dead wrong, but it seems to me that Mayfield, by coming to camp, now they've already said he's not, and they've already said it's by mutual agreement, thus mm -hmm. avoiding the fine. But if he does come to camp and he does play well, his value goes up to trade to Carolina, and he may, may, I'm not saying he is, but he may put himself as the best option for the Cleveland Browns. So, again, from just a resurrect-a-career kind of deal, Hey, look, man, sitting on my couch complaining about Stefanski or complaining about the way you've been handled in a podcast, I got to tell you, if I'm Carolina, that ain't cutting it for me. If I'm the Browns, okay, fine, I got to pay you whatever you do and we're not interested in having you here. I swear to God, again, I look at things wrong, but I would be doing exactly, I think, Chad, you said it. If I'm the Browns, I'd be like, all right, let's get going here. Let's see what you got. And if I'm Mayfield, I'm telling my people I want to get going here because at least, again, if it's only to if it's to collect money, hey man, but, you already got it. No, but he you can't. He can't. He can't do that in Cleveland. The the contract huh? for Deshaun Watson does not allow a future in Cleveland because the but, salary cap. I agree. Yeah, I, no, it's no, no, fully guaranteed. So so fifty million. Uh, it counts against the. It's forty million. It's something like that next year for Deshaun Watson. Whereas this year, he's counting just a million dollars against the cap. So if you want a future contract, if it doesn't work out with Watson, they're still going to have to eat that cap well, money, and then they're going with a rookie. We're not, we're not arguing a so, future not with arguing. the Browns. We're talking but about... But for a future with Baker Mayfield, the last thing he needs to do is play a season with the Cleveland Browns. Because oh, if, he wants a, if he wants a future, he needs to go play the year in Seattle, in Carolina, wherever it but might be. But he can't do that unless right. they trade him or cut him. But they're going I, to. I disagree with They're I, going I to do the, that. They have to do that. I think the last thing Baker Mayfield needs is to not play. I think the last thing Baker, no, Baker Mayfield No, the last thing needs he needs, Dan, is to get hurt. That's the last okay, thing. That's why Jimmy that's Garoppolo fine. has not been traded. He's hurt. That's fine. All right, get hurt. But I, what I'm saying is this. I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to think like another team. I got a guy that his team, his team doesn't want. They went and signed Deshaun Watts. Now I got that same guy yeah. that brings a ton of baggage because he's sitting on his ass. He's not doing nothing but complaining. Do I want a guy that's going to complain? No. If I'm Baker Mayfield, I'll take a year with the Browns. I know, but at least I got a year, again, with a chance to salvage what it is that I'm doing. In a perfect world, he's traded. He goes to Seattle. He and Pete Carroll have a great year. And he lights he it up. Carolina. But I'm saying the future is a one-year deal where it's a prove-it thing for not only him, but the rest of the, uh, rest of the league. And for him to be sitting there doing nothing, man, I don't know how you do that if you want to resurrect your career.
Um, I don't know. This would be a great poll question. Better opportunity for a for an organization to backtrack the Cleveland Browns or the PGA Tour. <laughs> I mean, I, it, ne- neither's going to because there's too much money involved in things that they've decided to do over the last three months. And Baker knows he's going to be traded or cut based on the salary cap implications of the organization that gave a fully guaranteed contract to a guy who may be suspended for a full season. And they they knew that. That's why they went out and got Jacoby Brissett. They're, they would move on with him before they would go back to Baker. I don't disagree with that. And I don't know that that's the right move. And again, Baker Mayfield's made it easy for him. He, no. Right? I mean, he hadn't shown up with nothing. He's complained about everything. His agent says, hey, we don't want to come to camp. They agree. He's just made it easy for everybody to just say adios Baker. And again, if the goal is to stay in the league, I think that's the wrong way to go about it. Dan Dockich, we always bring the conversation and the energy. Love having you on, Dan, uh, and love the conversation you bring with us each week. And uh, we look forward to uh, Don't At Me as well again tomorrow. Great conversation. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, bro. Good talking to you, bud. Follow Dan on Twitter at Dan Dockich. Don't at me across the Outkick Network. He's crushing it. Uh, Also crushing it. Primary complaint, which is next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Now, Kick 360 rolls on with primary complaint. Chad, I'll kick it off today. It is the lack of consistency when media or those trying to focus on an issue pick a target. The target in this example is Mickelson, um, which a month and a half ago, the target was Mickelson. Now the target, if you just scroll through the headlines, based on all of the other golfers who have now Join the Live Tour, the the new golf tour that's backed by Saudi uh, money uh, that will tee off next Thursday in London. Now the target is how will the PGA Tour respond slash survive slash come down on a stance that was previously the perfect tone on how to respond to Mickelson and others who wanted to be the one that joined the Saudi League. Now it's about how the PGA responds to let them back in. Be con- if, you're, if you're picking a target, don't move the target. Be consistent with it, especially six weeks later. That's my primary complaint. I'm going to go to a similar theme, Hutton, for my primary complaint about media inconsistency. My primary, primary complaint this week is for Sarah Spain of ESPN, uh, who came out and called Tampa Bay Rays players bigots for not wanting to wear the Pride Month patches on their jersey, citing their faith as an issue to not wear them. So they're bigots. And they don't have the right to do that, according to Sarah Spain, and they're evil for doing so. Yet, Colin Kaepernick has every right to exercise his constitutional right to protest the flag and to take a knee, even if it's a league rule that you stand for the anthem. Doesn't matter. He's a hero for doing that. But when someone you disagree with takes a stand on something they believe in based on 
the book they believe in and the religion they believe in, it's not, not heroic. Not only is it not heroic, they're bigots for doing so. Got it. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page here. I'm glad we're keeping consistency with our opinions on ESPN with Sarah Spain. That is my primary complaint. I just wish there was consistency with how they handled uh, those who want to give their opinion on an opinion-based show. Sage still would have been suspended for that, for the opposite. Absolutely opinion. suspended for it. And meanwhile, this is you know clipped and put out there. It's, they, they treat their hosts in different ways. Now, this is instead one— Instead of— uh, uh, shockingly, they may be opinion. learning from their mistakes because uh, there's stories out now where you can't find that clip, that they've removed it. They're not answering for it. They're not apologizing. They're not going to do that. But they have buried her clip saying that where they haven't done some other controversial things going the other way where they've kept it out there. You now suddenly can't find that clip of her saying that about the Rays players. It's more likely... Not, not because they realize it shouldn't be out there. It's probably because Sage Steele's attorney would have added it to the lawsuit. Yes. As evidence. Probably. I mean, that, that's likely the, the reasoning behind well, you can it. Well, you can still find that video at OutKick. It's, oh, it's available. <laughs> it's yeah, there. It's available. It lives uh, on the dark web. Uh, coming up, headlines of the day, including Aaron Rodgers and what he said about his future. Plus, we'll get back into the PGA.